Hey, what's up? It's your bro, Mario Escobedo. Thanks for tuning in to the Christian Bro Code Podcast. This is episode number 21, and here's what I'm going to be talking about in episode 21 of the Christian Bro Code Podcast, overcoming feelings of guilt and shame. Let me set this up for you. Every single one of us, at one time or another, we've done something that a follower of Jesus shouldn't do. You've done it, I've done it, we've all done it. And after we do, I mean, whatever it was, fill in the blank, right? Whatever it is that we shouldn't have done, there are feelings of guilt and shame that come with that because we know that we did something that we shouldn't have done. And so in this episode, I want to walk you through a passage of the Bible, something that happened in the ministry of Jesus with his disciples that I think should help us all as we kind of struggle, I don't know if struggle is the right word, but as we seek to overcome the feelings of guilt and shame that are associated with doing something that a follower of Christ shouldn't do. Stick around. All right, so to talk about this topic, I'm going to look at a passage, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. And let me let me set up the context for you a little bit, just so we know what's taking place and what's going on. So this, this chapter, this passage that we're going to read, the events of that passage take place on the same day of Jesus's resurrection. In fact, Jesus had resurrected earlier that day, and this that we're going to read takes place on the evening of that same day of Jesus' resurrection. And here's what's going to happen. What we're going to read is the first post-resurrection conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Now, by this point, Jesus had already spoken with Mary Magdalene at the tomb. And now this is the first time that he's talking to all of the disciples, except Judas. Of course, by this point, he had already hung himself. And we find out in the passage after this, John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, that Thomas isn't in this conversation. By the way, I did an episode, I believe it's episode number 20, about that encounter between Jesus and doubting, I'd say that in quotes, doubting Thomas. Go ahead and check that out. But here, this is what we're talking about, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, the first post-resurrection conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to read some of this passage and stop at some points and make some comments, okay? So first of all, here's, here's how it starts reading in chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, that's Sunday, the day of Jesus' resurrection, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, let me pause right there, because notice the situation of the disciples. They were together, however, they were in a house, and the doors were locked, and it says that the reason the doors were locked was because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Now, it makes sense to me that they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. What was their fear? Well, they were afraid that the Jewish leaders were going to do to them the same as they had done to Jesus, because, well, they were his followers. They saw how they arrested Jesus, they tried him, they beat him, they crucified him, and all of that stuff. And they were afraid that because they were his followers, that the Jewish leaders were going to find them and do the same thing to them. So it makes sense. You know, we, we can't, I don't know, we can't really get too upset with the disciples in this case, because I think they have a valid fear that the Jewish leaders were going to do to them the same as they had done to Jesus, to Jesus himself, because they were his followers. So we find that they are afraid, obviously. And so Jesus walks in at this point, says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Very first words that Jesus speaks to the disciples after his resurrection are the words, peace be with you. 
Now, I want you to notice that when Jesus comes onto the scene, he's stepping into a an atmosphere or an environment of fear and an atmosphere of confusion. The disciples had been following Jesus for three years of his ministry, had seen him do miracles and all that stuff, right? However, they were afraid at this time. So when Jesus shows up, the first time Jesus shows up after his resurrection, he's stepping into an atmosphere, an environment of fear. And so it's very appropriate that his first words are, peace be with you. He's speaking peace into this atmosphere or this environment of fear. Now look, the book of John was written in Greek. However, Jesus and his disciples were more than likely speaking either Hebrew or Aramaic. That was the language that they were speaking, all right? John was written in Greek, but Jesus and his disciples were likely speaking either Hebrew or Greek. And so I point this out because there's an important thing to note when Jesus says, peace be with you. The word that Jesus would have used in this case is the Hebrew or Aramaic word, it's identical in both languages, is the word shalom. And that's a word that's still used even to this day in uh, Jewish circles or people who speak Hebrew. It's a greeting, shalom, it means peace. And uh, it, just, it just simply means peace or tranquility and uh, the absence of confusion, the absence of fear, the absence of chaos, the absence of storm, uh, tribulation, all that. When Jesus speaks shalom, he's speaking peace into a fearful situation. And so it makes sense that he would say this because of the disciples and how they're afraid and all of that. Now, as we keep reading in verse 20, this is what happens. After he said this, that means after he said, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. This makes perfect sense. They thought he was dead. They saw that he was crucified, arrested, all that stuff. And so obviously when Jesus shows up, after they thought he was dead and he, and he speaks to them, and he shows them his wounds and all of that, then of course they are overjoyed because they saw the Lord. They saw their master. They saw the one that they thought were, was dead. And here he is in front of them. So of course the disciples are overjoyed. And they're overjoyed. And that's what makes it interesting to me to note what Jesus says next. Verse 21 says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. I find that interesting. Now, just follow the sequence with me, if you will. Remember, we said that the disciples, they were locked up in a house somewhere, and they were afraid. There was an atmosphere, an environment of fear. Jesus appears in that atmosphere of fear, and he says, peace, and he says, peace. He says, shalom, in order to calm their fears. As a result of that, the disciples are overjoyed. Yeah, they're celebrating. They're happy. Our master has risen, da-da-da. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a joyful moment. And in that joyful moment, again, Jesus says, Shalom. And you kind of have to wonder, well, I get why Jesus said Shalom the first time. It was to speak peace into a, a fearful situation. But now that the situation and the environment has changed, now it's one of celebration and no longer one of fear, why is Jesus saying Shalom again? It, it doesn't, at first, it doesn't make sense. At first glance, it doesn't make sense. However, if, if you understand this little bit of information, that the word shalom has uh, some additional meaning, some additional nuance, then Jesus saying shalom the second time actually makes perfect sense. Now, I mentioned to you that shalom means peace, you know, the absence of fear, the absence of strife, the absence of all that stuff, but there's some additional understanding for the word shalom. Now, 
It's more than just a word. It's more than de- just a definition of a word. Shalom is is like a concept, like like an almost like an ideology. It's more than just a word. It's a it's a concept. Because beyond meaning just peace and tranquility, the word shalom also means something that is whole, something that is complete, something that isn't missing anything. That's what the word shalom or the concept of shalom, it also means that. It means it's, it's, it's not missing anything. If you talk about something that is shalom, you're talking about something that isn't missing anything anything. Now, now grasp that just for a little bit. It's not just peace and tranquility. It also means wholeness, complete, not missing anything. Let me see if I can give you um, something of an illustration here. Now, if I have a, a sheet of paper, okay, and, and it's a completely whole sheet of paper, then I could say that that sheet of paper is shalom, it's, it's whole. It's complete. It's not missing anything. However, if I take that sheet of paper and I, and I, uh, and I, rip, I rip a sheet, a piece off of that sheet of paper, it's no longer whole. It's missing a piece. It's no longer shalom. It's no longer complete. It's missing something. Something has been ripped off of it, right? It's no longer whole or complete. And so something that is shalom is something that is complete. Let, let me give you... Um, an example from the Old Testament, okay? In Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 and 31, we have the people of Israel, and this is just to illustrate more or give us a clearer understanding of the word shalom. Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 through 31. This is when the people of Israel are already in the promised land. They're there under Joshua's leadership, and they're about to renew their covenant, their dedication to the Lord. And so what Joshua does is that he builds an altar on Mount Ebal according to the the instructions that the Lord had given Moses and that Moses had then passed on to Joshua. But notice how in verse 31 of Joshua chapter 8, this is what it says, talking about Joshua, Joshua built the altar according to what's written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones. Now, what I want to point out here is the word uncut, because in the original language in Hebrew, that word uncut is a form of the word shalom. It's basically the word shalom. It means something that is whole. In this case, it's talking about the stones that should be used for building this altar, and they're uncut. They're shalom. They're not cut. They're not. They're, they're whole. They're complete. They're not missing anything. And, and in this passage in Joshua, notice that there's no fear. There's no strife. There's nothing that requires tranquility in, and, and peace. It's talking about something that is whole, uncut, not missing anything. All right. Now, with that understanding of shalom, it's whole. It's complete. It's not missing anything. With that understanding, let's go back to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, and, and remember the sequence that I talked about. The disciples were afraid. They were locked up inside a house with the doors locked because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Jesus steps into that situation of fear, and he speaks shalom in order to calm their fear. He speaks tranquility. He speaks peace into that situation in order to calm their fear. The disciples are overjoyed. Yeah, Jesus is alive. And then again, Jesus speaks shalom. This time, I think that Jesus is using shalom in this deeper, more nuanced sense of the word whole or complete or not missing anything. And I think that what Jesus was doing at that moment is that he spoke the word shalom in order to restore the disciples back to wholeness, back to being complete and not missing anything. 
It wasn't just to calm their fear. I think that's why Jesus said it the first time, because as John sets it up in his writing, there's an atmosphere, an environment of fear. So Jesus steps in and speaks shalom, peace, don't be afraid. But the second time in a context of joy, he speaks shalom in order to speak wholeness and restoration into the disciples. Now, why would Jesus have to do that? Or why, why do I say that that's what Jesus was doing? Well, just, just think about it for a little bit. The disciples see Jesus in front of them after his resurrection, and they're overjoyed. But I think that at that moment that they were overjoyed, at the same time, they were being overcome by feelings of guilt and shame. Now, what did the disciples have to feel guilty about? Why would they feel shame? Well, just think about what happened when Jesus was arrested. The disciples pretty much scattered. I mean, just think about Peter. All we have to talk about is Peter and the fact that Peter, even though he was brave at first and he cut off one of the servant's ears, <laughs> after that, we see that Peter even denied Jesus three times. And this was the same guy. This was Peter. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going off on Peter. I'm just laying out the facts. This is the same guy who had told Jesus, Jesus, I will die if necessary for you. I'll die. And then, and then we find out that at the moment of truth, at the moment that he needed to stand up and, and demonstrate that he was a follower of Jesus, that he was one of Jesus' disciples, he denies Jesus three times. Can you imagine now in this situation, after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is standing here in front of the disciples and in front of Peter. They're overjoyed. And what Peter must have been feeling at that moment Oh, man. Like, I'm, I'm really glad. I'm glad that Jesus rose from the dead, but I just, I just, I just can't believe what I did. I, I told him I would die for him, and, and I, I ran. And then I denied him, and I even, I even cursed so that people would know that I'm not one of his followers. Oh, man. Can you just imagine the feelings of guilt and of shame? Look, Peter had done something that a follower of Jesus shouldn't do. He ran. He scattered. He abandoned Jesus. He denied Jesus. I think that it's absolutely understandable that at that moment, even in an environment of celebration and joy because Jesus was alive, Peter, along with the other disciples, would have been feeling incredible guilt and incredible shame. And it was at that moment that Jesus, again, for a second time, spoke shalom, restoration. Uh, I think it was at that moment that Jesus was telling the disciples, I am ridding you of your guilt and your shame. I'm speaking restoration. That situation that you went through of following me and then, and then seeing me arrested and, and crucified and, and that I died and that you abandoned me and you denied me, that made you less than whole. That was, that was like, like that ripping of the paper, right, that we talked about just a little while ago. It, it was something that made you less than whole, and I get that. And doing something that a follower of Jesus shouldn't do, it made you feel less than whole. It made you feel less than worthy to be a follower of Jesus. I get it, and that's why I'm saying shalom restoration. Be whole. Be complete once again. And as I, as I go through this passage, I, I feel that I, that I can identify with the disciples because there have been so many times that I, 
I have to admit, I've done even, I mean, I've been in church all my life. I've been a follower of Jesus pretty much all my life. I mean, church life, Christianity is basically all I know. And still, there have been too many times to count that I have done something that a follower of Jesus shouldn't do. And those feelings of guilt and shame come along with that. There have been times that I've been in, in, a, in a beautiful worship service where, where the presence of God and the worship is just great, and I'm, I'm enjoying the presence of God, and all of a sudden in that, in that atmosphere of, of joy and of celebration and of enjoying God's presence, all of a sudden I'm reminded or somehow I remember or I'm reminded of that thing that I did that a follower of Jesus shouldn't do, and all of a sudden I just, in the middle of the celebration, I feel guilt and I feel shame. I mean, I, I don't know if you've been there. I, I know I've been there too many times to count. And and I can identify with the disciples. I feel that this passage is is, is here to, to show us that, yeah, it's, it's not our best moment when we do things that followers of Jesus shouldn't do. But at the same time, Jesus didn't come to this earth to make us feel more guilt and more shame. If anything, he came to take away our guilt and our shame. And here, the disciples, the men who should not, I mean, they had no reason to abandon Jesus. I mean, they should have been the ones to stick up for Jesus more than any one of us after them. And they didn't do it. And in spite of them not doing it, Jesus still spoke shalom, restoration, wholeness back into their life. If, if you've done something, and again, we, we've, all, we've all had that experience. We've all done it at one point in our lives that we've done something a follower of Jesus shouldn't do. You can, uh, you, I mean, it's so dangerous that those feelings of guilt, those feelings of shame and embarrassment can overcome you. I mean, they can overtake you to the point that you no longer allow yourself to enjoy God's presence or grow or do what you have to do as a follower of Jesus. And I think Jesus would tell you, Shalom, hey, I can restore you. I know that what you did is wrong. You did something that a follower of Jesus shouldn't do, but I can speak Shalom. I can speak restoration over your life. Now, beyond that, in verse 21, when Jesus said, peace be with you, he, that's not the last thing he told the disciples. He finished by telling the disciples this. He said this, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's key. That, that's important right there because Jesus backs up his, his, his declaration of shalom, his declaration of wholeness and of restoration over the disciples. It wasn't just something theoretical that he was saying, I'm restoring you. I'm speaking shalom. No, he backs it up with something practical. He's saying, I'm restoring you. And by the way, you by what you did, even though you did something that a follower of Jesus shouldn't do, you didn't disqualify yourself from fulfilling the mission for which I chose you. Get that. Understand that. That's key. That's important. He spoke shalom over them, and then he once again validated them for the mission for which he had chosen them. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. If, if what they did by abandoning Jesus and denying Jesus and doing something that followers of Jesus shouldn't do had been enough to disqualify them from the mission for which Jesus had chosen them, he would not have told them, I'm sending you. But here, he puts some, some practical 
some practical application to his speaking of shalom, of wholeness, of restoration over them. He says, now listen, you're restored. You're whole. I'm speaking shalom over you, and you need to go out and fulfill the mission for which I chose you. There's a lot of work to be done, so go out and fulfill that mission. And, and I, would, I would think that the Lord is telling us the same thing, that when we do things that followers of Jesus shouldn't do, if we allow ourselves to be governed and overcome by those feelings of guilt and shame, then we'll never go forward in fulfilling the mission for which Jesus chose us. And when Jesus speaks shalom over you, he's telling you, now listen, get yourself up, overcome those feelings of guilt and shame because I'm not holding them against you. Get yourself up and keep going to fulfill the mission that I have given you. And in your case, that might be something with your church. You may be in church leadership. In your case, it may be leading at your home, being a good leader at your home, being a good father, being a good husband. You know, those feelings of guilt and shame, can, can get you down to the point that you say, what's the point of me trying to lead my family as followers of Jesus if I can't even do it myself? And, and you, can, you can begin to abandon the mission for which God has chosen you, loving and leading your family, your, your, your wife and, and your children, leading at your local congregation, being a witness to your neighbors and your coworkers and family and friends, and etc. If you allow those feelings of guilt and shame to eat up inside of you, then you'll never go forward in the mission for which God has chosen you. And so Jesus speaks shalom, restoration and wholeness over your life. But on top of that, he reminds you, you haven't disqualified yourself from fulfilling the mission for which I chose you. And so Jesus speaks shalom into your life so that you can overcome those feelings of guilt and shame and continue on your, on your path of growth. Nothing is going to kill your growth more quickly than feelings of guilt and shame because you're going to start getting some momentum, right? You're going to start growing, doing things to grow, and then all of a sudden you're going to remember, oh, but I, I did that. I did what a follower of Jesus shouldn't do, and that's going to drag you down. You need to understand and remember that Jesus spoke shalom over you. He restored you. He made you whole and complete once again, and then he said, now, go and fulfill the mission for which I chose you. And, and I, I know that it can be hard. I, I understand it. I, I've, I've been there and I still go through that, that we do things that we know followers of Jesus, we just shouldn't do it. I get it. I know it. I understand it. But here's where we rely not on our own goodness, but on the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the shalom that Jesus speaks over our life. Jesus speaks that one significant, important word over your life, shalom. And it's not just to calm your fear. It's not just to make you feel peace and tranquility in a moment of fear or of tribulation. It's to remind you, I can speak wholeness and restoration over your life. I can take things that were torn apart and made less than whole, and I can put them back together I can make you whole again so that you can continue on your journey of fulfilling the mission for which I chose you, loving, leading your family, being a good husband, being a good father, being a leader at your church, growing, being a, a, a witness, a testimony to others in your circle of influence. Shalom, you're restored. Now go out and do the work for which I've chosen you. And so I, I leave you with that today because every single one of us We've been through that. 
We've done something that a follower of Jesus shouldn't do. And we can, we can brood over that. We can just let those feelings of guilt and shame consume us. Or we can open up our hearts and accept that word of shalom, restoration, wholeness that Jesus would speak into us. That's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate the fact that you tuned in. Hey, do this. Subscribe to the podcast. I don't know if you're getting this on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you're getting it from. Make sure you subscribe. That way you're always up to date on the latest episodes. Also, there is the Christian Bro Code YouTube channel. I'll leave links to that in the show notes. Check them out. Other teachings are there as well. Share this stuff. I know this is helpful to you. I know it's helpful to other bros, but the only way they're going to know about it is if you share it. So get on social media, wherever you are, email, whatever you got to do. Share this so that other bros can benefit from this as well. Thank you so much. Head on over to the Christian Bro Code YouTube channel. Leave comments there in the teachings. Subscribe. Uh, leave a thumbs up, all that stuff. Until next time, God bless, bro.